Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 1. Um, if Also in your Bible, make sure you can see the last page of 1 Kings, um, because I'm going to read part of that and jump straight into 2 Kings Um, If you aren't aware, these sermons actually aren't live on Sunday morning. Um, With the internet that we have at Mount Zion, um, I'm not able to successfully broadcast live very well without there being internet issues and and lagging the video and just having all sorts of problems. So I actually have to film these ahead of time um, and broadcast them on Sunday morning from my house. Um, It's it's the only way to have a clear production to where you can um, have a good experience with what's going on here. So, um, so this is actually being, not being filmed on Sunday. This is filmed earlier in the week. Um, I just always have to speak as though it is Sunday morning when I'm preaching because obviously you're watching it on Sunday. Um, so I stand today on the precipice of being a father. Um, we are, um, when, when this is being broadcast, we are nine days away from our son's due date. Um, But it's certainly possible that this will be broadcast after my son is born. Um, I don't know if between now and Sunday he's going to be born, and if this is already uploaded and set to go, it will still premiere on May the 17th. Um, It it may not be the case, but but it's possible that he could be born between now and then. Um, If that happens, we won't have a worship service on May the 24th. We'll still have this on May 17th. Um, I just may be in Tift Regional Hospital um, with our baby at the time. Um, I stand on the precipice of being a father. Um, so with that fact in mind, I'm a, that, that I'm about to be a father, the passage that we're going to read in 2 Kings today um, hit me in a different light than, than maybe it had if I had preached it. A, maybe it would have if I had preached it a year ago. Um, because we see Ahab's son in this passage, and we see Elijah interact with Ahab's son. Um, Ahab is dead. You remember last week, we, we, we finished the story of Ahab, and in, in this chapter in Elijah's story, Ahab was killed in battle. And so his son takes over for him. Ahab has been the worst king, and he is dead. His son Ahaziah takes over for him. Who, who, who Ahaziah is, is the direct result of who Ahab was. I want to speak today to, my father, to myself and to fathers uh, about our children. And if you're watching this and you're not a father, uh, you, you're still going to glean a lot from this because this is the word of God. But primarily we're, we're looking at the, the legacy that Ahab leaves in his son today. Um, you'll notice I jumped straight from 1 Kings to 2 Kings. They were originally one book 
Um, when, when we got the Bible in English, it was split into two books, and, and so now it's 1 Kings, 2 Kings. They were originally one full work. So 1 Kings 22 would have, would have led right into 2 Kings 1. So um, we'll start in verse 51 of 1 Kings 22. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned two years over Israel. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. After the death of Ahab, Moses rebelled, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Belzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist, and he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of fifty men with his fifty. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of the hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, Come down. But Elijah answered the captain of fifty, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again the king sent to him another captain of fifty men with his fifty, and he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order, come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then the fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again the king sent to the captain a third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of the, fire, of the fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of fifty men with their fifties. But now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed in which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. 
So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? I am not an expert on raising children. I've held three babies in my entire life, and two of them were forced on me. Um, I had a college diploma before I had held a baby for the first time. I've never changed a diaper as of the filming of this sermon. Maybe when this premieres, I might have done that. Um, I have never burped a baby. I have never fed a baby. I have never dressed a baby. I mostly grew up around adults. I had younger cousins, but I wasn't really that close to them. I've read some parenting books in the past few months and in seminary, but, but I have no experience in it. But I have had several really incredible fathers in my life, and I've learned a lot by watching them. And it's important for you to understand that, that not today, nor any other time that I'm preaching, am I preaching my expertise. I hope you get that. I'm preaching God's word. God is the expert. I'm not. I'm not the expert on, on, on the Christian life. I'm not the expert on theology. I'm not the expert on um, anything. Uh, God is the expert. I preach his word. I'm not an expert on parenting, but God is. His words are what the focus of my sermon is. I'm not ranting my opinion to you. I'm not giving you my wisdom because I have little wisdom. I'm preaching what God says in his word. These are the words of God, not the words of Aaron, because the words of Aaron are of little value. Simple principle for today. It is the responsibility of fathers to lead their home spiritually. When they don't, their kids will usually end up not followers of Christ when they are grown. Three passages, three passages of Scripture I want you to look up and read later. Um, the first is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. Um, it's a passage that tells fathers that they are to um, lead their family in the, in the word. They're to um, talk about the word when they're going out and when they're setting down and when they're lying down. They're, they're to write it on the walls of their house. It's to be like, like, like on their forehead. It's to be that important in their home. Um, the second is Proverbs 22.6, probably one you're very familiar with. Train up a child in the way he should go, and in the end he will not depart from it. Um, I want you to understand that that passage is not a promise. Um, Proverbs are not promises. They are general principles um, for under normal circumstances. This is how things work out. Um, and then Ephesians 6.4 um, says... It's slipping my mind exactly what it says. I want to make sure I, I read it to you correctly. So um, I told you to look this one up, but this one is important. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He, he doesn't, Paul doesn't say there in Ephesians 6, Fathers and mothers do this. He says fathers do this. 
The biblical expectation of the family is that fathers are the spiritual leaders of their home. Now, we know that in reality, we know what the reality is, don't we? It, it's, it's usually the mother who's the spiritual leader of the home. In, in the majority of families, at least in the United States, if the, if the family has any spiritual life outside of church, it's because the mother faithfully brings that about. Praise God for mothers. But fathers, the biblical requirement is for you to do that. God expects you to lead your home. He doesn't expect you to just delegate that to the mother. You're to be the leader of your home. You're to be the spiritual leader of your home. And when you don't do that, you're failing the calling God has given you. Fathers, it's not your job to simply bring home the bacon while the mother is the sole instructor of your children. That's not your job. If you don't lead your home spiritually, it's very unlikely your children will grow up and come to know the Lord. It doesn't guarantee they will. If you, if you lead your children spiritually, it doesn't guarantee they will grow up and be really faithful Christians. Um, but there are plenty of fathers probably watching this who would say they, they, they were the spiritual leader of their home and their kids didn't turn out as Christ followers. There's also plenty of people who are watching this who could give the testimony that, um, that they, they became devoted followers of Christ, yet they had very godless parents. But only because the grace of God invaded their life did that happen. It put them on a different path. Um, but under normal circumstances, if the father leads the home spiritually, the children will grow up and love Jesus. They will. Ahab was not only a terrible king, he was a terrible father. He may have absolutely raised Ahaziah like a good American. He may have played with him as a baby. He might, he might have played catch with him in the yard. He, he might have provided a good home for him. He might have paid for him to have all the needs that he needed, probably got him a good education, but he raised him to follow the wrong God. He raised him to follow Baal. And now we see what resulted. Uh, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, does three things in this passage. He seeks false gods, he hates God's word, and he does not repent of sin. First, he seeks false gods. The, the text, it mentions in verse 1, Moab rebelled against Israel. That doesn't pop up again after this until 2 Kings 3. Um, and we're, we're not going to preach 2 Kings 3 when we get, when we're going to finish this in, in chapter 2, this series. So we're not even going to deal with that. So, so verse 2, um, Ahaziah is in his house. He falls through the lattice of his roof and he falls and hurts himself. The text doesn't say what injury he got, but it calls it a sickness. He gets messengers. He sends them to Ekron. Ekron was miles away from Israel. Um, why does he send them there? Well, maybe he doesn't want Israel to know the seriousness of his injury. Um, but definitely because Beelzebub is the chief god of Ekron. He wants to hear from Ekron. Beelzebub is not exactly the same God as Baal from earlier in, in the story of Elijah, but, but not different either. Um, each region had their own deity. They had their own local deity, um, their own local version of Baal, if you will. 
Um, it's likely Beelzebub is known for giving oracles of the future in Ekron, so he wants to hear what Beelzebub has to say. Notice he asked the messengers to go ask, will I survive this? Not, can you come heal me? Will I survive this? Why? Because false gods don't heal anybody. He may be known for giving oracles of the future, but he's never healed a person once. But Beelzebub hasn't done that. He can't heal because he doesn't exist. On the other hand, there's a prophet in Israel who can both speak a word from God and heal. His name is Elijah. We've seen him do both of those. But Ahaziah hates Elijah. Why? Because the, because the spiritual leader of Ahaziah's home, Ahab, raised Ahaziah to hate Elijah, hate his guts. He's the worst person that has ever done anything to me, so hate him. Thus, Ahaziah seeks another god to come to his rescue, and there's nothing that God can, that, there's nothing Beelzebub that God can do for him. Remember we talked about idols that we worship a few weeks ago? That they're gods that we seek after instead of the Lord. We seek after them to satisfy us. We seek after them to deliver us. We seek after them to make us happy. Fathers, the God that you lead your child to worship is the God they will worship. If you teach your kids to have the highest joy in a football team, that's exactly what they will worship. If you teach them that, that, that a football team brings a smile to your face and, and Jesus is just a God that you have to endure for an hour on Sunday, that's exactly how your children will view God and view the Georgia Bulldogs. They will worship the Georgia Bulldogs and they will give lip service to Jesus. If you teach your kids that when life is hard you turn to a bottle, that's what they will turn to. If you teach your kids to, to hope in money, to deliver them, they will hope in money. They will hope that money will get them out of whatever situation they're in. That's why they need more and more of it. Ahaziah sought Baal to deliver him because that's who Ahab, the spiritual leader of his home, taught him to seek out. He taught him that the non-existent God, Baal, has more power to help him than the God of Israel, the, the one who has proven himself time and time again. Fathers, you will not only teach your children what, good, what, what God to follow by what you say to them, but by who you put your hope in, by the one that gives you the most joy, by the one that, gives, that, that you have the most commitment to. Your kids will become like you, whether they want to or not. You know what they say, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. There are ways both good and bad that I can see my parents in myself. I can see my parents in me, the, the various ticks that I have, the, the various things that I do, the various ways I respond to the different things in my life, how, how I say things, the words I use, the, the, the inflections on certain words that I say, um, I get those from my parents. I, I, I got that from them. But you know, I, I never set out to say, I'm going to start saying that like my dad. 
I'm going to, I'm going to respond to, you know, stress like my mom does, or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to laugh the way my dad does, or I'm going to sneeze like my dad does or, or whatever. I, I, I don't, I never decided to do any of those things. I just lived in the same house as them for 18 years. So I'm naturally going to pick things up from them and your kids will do the same that you do. They will become like you whether they want to or not. Your kids will pick up so many things you do, and they will pick up how you view the world and how you operate in the world outside of those teaching moments, outside of when you tell them what to do, tell them how life is supposed to work. They will pick up a lot more just by watching you. Uh, Elijah gives a message to, to Ahaziah, just like he did to Ahab, his father, um, the, prof, the, the messengers come, Elijah intercepts them, um, along, and, and, and Elijah is told by an angel to go intercept them. He says, ah, there's no God in Israel, so you have, you have to go somewhere else. That, that's what the case is, isn't it? It's an indictment. The king was supposed to be in a relationship with God. There's no God in Israel because you and your family, Ahaziah, you, you can't take God out of Israel. He's, he's obviously still there. He's obviously still, he, he's present in all places. He's omnipresent, but, but no one in Israel is honoring him because of your family. There's no one serving him there. You don't have to go to Ekron. I'll, just t I'll tell you the answer to your question. He's not going to get better. He's going to die. God is not a casual God who just lets you be devoted to other gods. He will have your loyalty. He demands your entire life. He demands your heart and your devotion. If you won't give it to him, you can't be his. That's exactly what Jesus says later in Luke chapter 14. If you won't, if, if you won't hate your own father, mother, wife, children, uh, brother, sister, if you won't carry your own cross, if you won't um, renounce all your possessions, you know what he says? You cannot be his disciple. You, you cannot be his disciple if you won't put him first in your life, is the point of that. You cannot be his if you will not put him first. The messengers go back and tell him what, what this prophet on the road says. And, and Ahaziah says, uh, who was this man? What did he look like? And they describe him. Well, he wore this and he had this kind of face and and the and. Ahaziah knows it's Elijah. Ugh, when is this guy going to get off my family? Ahaziah should have repented of his sins. We'll get to that in a little bit. Instead, he lashes out against Elijah. Why does he lash out against Elijah? Could have just been that he hated him. This guy caused trouble to his dad. Maybe he thinks if I kill the prophet, the prophecy won't happen. Maybe he thinks threatening Elijah will force Elijah to change his prophecy, as if Elijah has that power. So Ahaziah sends out 50 men with a captain. They go up to Elijah. He calls down fire and incinerates all of them. The, the first captain says, come down here. So he just incinerates them. So Ahaziah sends a second group. Captain goes up and he says, come down here. 
Elijah sends fire down and incinerates him. The third guy comes and, and says, hey, please spare our lives. We were sent here to deliver a message. We, we, we're not the one that, that, that wants you. That, that's, that's our king. Just, just please don't kill us. You killed the first two groups. We recognize your authority. Please don't destroy us. And the angel says, go with him. Go on. Go, go listen to, go, go talk to Ahaziah. What's the real reason Ahaziah wants Elijah killed? What's the real reason? The real reason is that he hates God's word. He hates what God says. He doesn't want God telling him the truth. He's just like his father. Fathers, you must love God's word and you must teach your kids to love God's word. You must love his word. You need to pick up this book more than just the hour that you take it to church on Sunday, if you pick it up then. Because your kids will learn a love for God's word based on how you love it or don't love it. You, you, you can't just tell your kids to love God's word and not love it yourself. They won't believe you. They won't listen to you. Have you taken a look at our world? So many things are fighting for your children's attention. J just on the internet alone. Your kids have Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and, and so many other things all going for their attention. You've got to show them that the Bible is more beautiful and more awesome than all of those things. And most of the times that, that they're not seeing that. You know, it'd be a lot easier to just rewatch The Office on Netflix for the 20th time than read the Bible. That's a whole lot more interesting to most kids. Do you, do you get that? You, you know, binging something on Netflix or, or watching 100 hours of YouTube videos is a whole lot more satisfying to, to most kids than, than, than this book. Yet these words in this book are living words. You've got to teach your kids that, not just by what you say, but by how you live, by how much you love this word. If you don't teach your kids that, they won't believe that. If you don't show your kids that, they won't believe that. There's so many other things going for their attention, and it's doing a good job. It's doing a good job, way better than you're doing most of the time. Uh, take go off the internet you've got sports going for your kids attention and school and friends and 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 so many other things their phone that they will not love the bible on their own they need a father to show them what it looks like to to find this book important and to find jesus important that means you may need to start taking it more seriously than you do you need to, to devote your life to it your kids will listen to someone's word. We all listen to somebody's word. It will either be God's word that they will center their life around, or it may be what the, what the most popular celebrity says. It might be what Taylor Swift says. It, it might be what, you know, what Ellen says or Oprah or, or, or whatever. 
It, it may be what all their friends are saying. It, it, may be, um, it, it may be any source of words out there that tell them what to believe. If, you don't, if they don't have their life grounded in this book, it will not be very hard for some celebrity to change their opinion about something. Do you understand that? The, the, the faithful Christian, the one who follows Christ, the one who knows Christ, they take God's word and they make it the central authority in their life so that what everyone else says has to submit to that word. Fathers, you will either lead your children to that worldview or you will allow them to go straight into not believing that. Which one are you going to choose? Ahab led, as, led, led Ahaziah to hate God's word, which is why he would not repent of his sins. And that's the third thing. So first of all, remember, Ahaziah chases after false gods, he hates God's word, and he does not repent. Elijah goes to Ahaziah at the end of this chapter, 16 through 18. He tells him exactly what he told the messengers. There's no God in Israel because of you, and you're going to die. You're not going to recover from this. And Ahaziah could have repented of his sins and turned to God, and he might have been spared, but he didn't. He was loyal to Baal, and he hated God's word. And his not repenting led to his death. Notice verse 17. He died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jeroboam became king in his place because he had no son. He had no son. The legacy of Ahab is gone. He had no son. He had no grandson to take his place when Ahaziah died. It's a good question for you, Dad. Will you, fathers, will will your grandkids and great-grandkids be talking about you for generations after you're gone, or will you be forgotten a few years after you die? Which one? Which one is it? Because you have a choice in the matter. Are you going to live such a life um, to your kids that generations from now they will still be talking about you? They'll be telling how, how marvelous the grace of God was seen in your life, how, how beautiful of a God you worshipped, how much you loved Jesus. Are, are they going to be talking about that for generations? You know, Something tells me Johnny Alexander will be talked about for several generations. I knew the man. Is that going to be your story? Or are they going to forget about you a few years after you're dead? Which one is it? You have a choice in the matter. I want my grandkids and my great-grandkids to, 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 to pass on stories about me to their kids. Not because I want to be seen as awesome, but because I want to live such a life committed to God that God does incredible things that people are going to be talking about for the rest of their lives. Do you want that? You have a choice in the matter. You've got to repent of your sins. You understand, uh, your kids are sinners. I want you to understand that, that they're sinners. My son in Adrian's womb, or maybe at the point of this on, you, on Facebook, he's, he's out of the womb, I don't know, but um, my son in Adrian's womb is a sinner. 
The Bible is very clear. We are conceived and born in sin. We, we inherited it from Adam. Your kids, no matter what age they, be, they, they are, whether it be 2 or 25, they are sinners. It's not, something, it's not just something they do. It's, it's the essence of who they are. Now, if they know Jesus, their sins are forgiven and they are cleansed. If they don't know Jesus, they are dead in their sins. And if nothing changes, your precious children will spend eternity in hell, separated from God in eternal torment, never having joy again. I don't want that for my kids. Do you, do you honestly want that for your kids? Why won't you take this more seriously? No, no matter how successful they are, no matter if they get into their dream college, no matter if they win the, the championship in basketball in high school, like no matter if they you know, make six figures in a career, no matter how good of kids they are, no matter if they get straight A's, no, no matter if they you know, you know, pitch a no-hitter in baseball, no, no, no matter any of that, do you understand that, that, that no matter how cute they are, no matter how much they make you laugh, no matter how much you just want to talk about them all day, no, no matter any of that, if they don't know Jesus, they will spend eternity separated from Him in eternal torment with no joy ever again. Do you want that for them? I don't. And I have a choice in the matter. And you have a choice in the matter. We have a choice to invest in our kids in such a way that we want to see them know Christ and love Christ for the rest of their days. And that's far more important than getting them into a good college or, or giving them the best high school experience or making sure they have straight A's or, or, or whatever. It's far more important, yet we give so little time to such a thing. We'll leave it up to the youth minister. Parents, there's, there's, no, there's no designated minister over youth in the Bible. That's a great model, and Clinton and Samantha do a phenomenal job with our youth, but you're foolish to think, if, to, to think that two hours a week with Clinton and Samantha is going to form them as Christians if you never invest in them. Do you understand that? Your kids will repent of their sins only if you repent first. Only if you show them how holy God is. Only if you show them how terrible sin is. How terrible sin is to a holy God. Only if you show them what God's word says about sin. Do, do you see the process? Listen, your kids must know who God is. Your kids must know um, how we should listen to God's word. And your, and your kids must know to repent of their sins. That's the process. Know who God is, know what his word says about, about sin, and, and repent. We, we try to do that backwards. We try to do that backwards. We want them to behave correctly. And maybe if they have time, we want them to read their Bibles and then... We, we don't really give much time to, to allowing them to know who God is. 
We want them to behave. We, we want them to not do bad. But we don't give much time to teaching them who God is. But the whole reason that you would ever want to do good in the first place is because you knew who God is. And you knew how holy He is. You must begin with who God is. Ahaziah wouldn't do what was right in the eyes of the Lord because he didn't know who the Lord was. He didn't know him. Ahaziah knew he was in a bad situation. He's laid up in bed and he's probably going to die. But he didn't know God. So why would he care to repent? You must lead your kids by repenting first. Do you understand that, Father? Do you understand that, fathers? You, you, you must lead your kids to know how to repent of their sins by you repenting first. Your kids are sinners and so are you. They got their sin from you. Adam passed it along the line to you and you passed it along to your kids. Do, do you get that? When they are born, they are sinners. That they learn a lot of your sinful habits, but they inherited the sinful nature from you. My, my son inherited sinful nature from me. He's going to be a sinner when he's alive because of me. He's going to pick up sinful habits I have, but he's going to be a sinner because of me. It, listen, listen, fathers, it, if you strut around your house like you never do anything wrong, but your wife always does wrong and your kids always do wrong, you, you can bet your kids will never repent of their sins. That they will never, they will become as proud and arrogant as you are. Because they're seeing a father who doesn't repent of his sins. They will learn that from you. And they will grow up thinking they're always right. But their spouse is wrong. Their kids are wrong. It's always somebody else's fault. They will learn that from you. Your kids need to see you apologize to their mother for how you treated her. Your kids need to see you apologize to them for how you treated them. And you may say, I, I never treat them wrong. I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was preaching to Jesus. You're a sinner, sir. You are. You're a sinner. You treat your wife and your kids wrong every day. I, the preacher, do it and you do it as well. You must make confessing your sins a regular habit. Not, ju not, not just confessing them to God, you need to do that, but confessing them to the person who you wronged and treated wrong and asking for forgiveness from them. If you don't, if you just sweep it under the rug, if you just kind of set, if you make your wife mad and then just go to the other room and, and wait 48 hours for the, for the anger to simmer down on both ends and then just come back into life like nothing ever happened, do you know what you'll do? You will cause your wife and your kids to store up bitterness toward you for years and years and someday they will explode in bitterness on you and it will not be good for you. If your kids do not repent of their sins, they will die in their sins just as Ahaziah did. And they will spend eternity paying the penalty for those sins. Oh, 
please take that seriously. Please take it seriously. Because my, my son is not here yet. He's only a few days from being here, and I don't want that for him. And if I don't want that for a baby I haven't even met yet, surely you don't want that for your 16-year-old. So what do we do with this? Fathers, let me give you a few ways to lead your home spiritually. Let, let, me, let me give you a few ways to be the spiritual leader of your home. First of all, fathers, you must make a commitment to your own spiritual life. That might, that might be that you need to receive Christ. Maybe you don't know him. Now, I'm not asking, did you pray a prayer in VBS at some point in your life? I'm asking, do you know him? Is Christ a part of your life? Because if you prayed a prayer in VBS, but, but your life wouldn't be any different if Christ didn't exist, you don't know him. You, you understand the gospel. God created this world. Man wrecked it with sin. Jesus came and paid the price for that sin so that now whoever believes in him and, and, and places their life in his hands can, can be made new from that sin and has eternal life. Have you actually given your life to him? Is he actually part of your life? Because if he isn't, you have no hope. And that's the place you got to start. If you do know him, you must begin to take him seriously. You must begin to actually take him seriously. Like, like if you have a wife and two kids, you need to have a fifth person in your home, and that's Jesus. You, you need to live your life as though there's a fifth person living in your home, and his name is Jesus. And he's honestly the most important person in your house. But is your home actually just four people and there's this guy that lives, you know, 20 hours away that we call every once in a while and check up on? Is that how your relationship with Jesus is? You know, one of the greatest leadership lessons I've learned as a pastor, that I've been taught as a pastor, is that, um, is that if there's something wrong with this church... If I'm frustrated with something about this church, um, there's probably some blame to be put on me about that. I'm the leader of this church. I'm the pastor, the shepherd of this church. If I'm frustrated with something, there's probably something to blame on me regarding that. Because the leader usually has some kind of responsibility for the problem. Fathers, if you want your home to be strong, if you want your kids to love Jesus, if you want your wife to thrive spiritually, it starts with you. It starts with you. You need to make a stone-cold commitment that you are going to read this book every single day. You're going to meditate on it and, and center your life around it. And you're going to pray hard every single day. You're going to pray for your, your own walk with Christ, for your wife's walk with Christ, and for your kids' walk with Christ. And you're going to make a stone-cold commitment that without fail, that is going to happen every single day. Even if you got to get up an hour early, even if you got to lose some sleep over it, even if you got to, you know, throw your phone out the window, even if you got to, you know, baseball bat the television, whatever you got to do to, to make your life centered around this book, you need to do it, sir. Because you're the spiritual leader of your home. It's not mom's job. It's yours. You've got to do this. If your 
home is going to be centered around Christ, it's going to start with you. Fathers, you must lead your family to church. You must be the one to lead your family to church. You must be the one who tells your family, y'all are going to church. Not your wife, not your kids. Your kids don't get to determine that the family isn't going to church just because they don't want to go on a particular Sunday. You're the authority in the home, not them. Do you understand that? You know, the, I've told you the statistics before. I'm going to tell you again just to remind you. If, if the kids lead the way to church, statistically 3% of families go to church together, the whole family. If the mom leads the way, the number jumps to like the teens. So 15% of families go to church to, all together. But if the father leads the way, if the father leads the family to church, 91% of families go to church together. If the father does what he's supposed to do, the number is astronomically higher. This is your responsibility, sir. Take up your mantle and do what you are called to do as a husband and as a father. Fathers, you must commit to lead your family spiritually. Christ, that is, Christ and His Word determines everything you do as a family. How you spend your money, how you spend your time, your faithfulness to church, what, what you do with your life, what you do with your future. Christ and His Word determine all of that. He is there in every decision you make. You, you, you make a commitment that we're going to read our Bible and pray together as a family. Have you ever prayed with your family outside of being around the dinner table? Let, let me invite you to begin something called family worship or family devotions, whatever you call it. It, it, was a, it was a practice that Christian families did for generations in the history of Christianity. Somewhere in the last 100 years, it kind of died out, but there's a resurgence of it today. People are taking it back up. Um, it's simple. You open up the Bible. You read a passage together out loud. You pray together. Let me tell you how Adrian and I do it. I read a chapter of the Bible, and then I ask her, what's one request we can pray for um, ourselves, and what's one request we can pray for somebody else? And then you pray for that. And if you would like as well, Adrian and I don't do this, but you, you, you sing a song together, sing a hymn together. It's 15 minutes. It's simple. It doesn't take a seminary degree to do it. You, you don't have to prepare anything. Just open up and start reading John together or start reading uh, Ephesians together or start reading Psalms together. Just open up to a book of the Bible. We're going to start in Psalm 1. We're going to read Psalm 1 tonight. We're going to pray. We're going to be done. We're going to do that regularly. Adrian and I do it once or twice a week. Deuteronomy 6 commands you to do this. Deuteronomy 6 commanded men to do this thousands of years ago before seminaries existed, before Bible colleges existed, before anything existed. All they had was the scriptures to go off of. They were supposed to lead their family in worship. Can I invite you to do that? Maybe you failed to do this and your kids aren't toddlers anymore. Maybe you've got teenagers in your home. You've never led the family spiritually. How in the world do you start doing that? We well, just be honest with them. 
You know, you go into your 16-year-old son's room and you sit down and you say, Son, I haven't led our family spiritually and that's my job biblically and I'm really sorry for that. I have failed in what I'm supposed to do as a father, but I want to do better. So I want Jesus to be the center of our home. I want us to start taking him seriously as a family. Sir, there's still hope for your family. But it starts with you, with fathers. Don't be like Ahab. Don't let your kids grow up to be like Ahaziah. They may be superstars in sports. They may get so good of grades that they get a full ride to Harvard. They may be successful in whatever career they choose. They may get married, start a family, and give you a dozen grandkids. Ahaziah was a successful guy. He was king of the nation. But if they don't know God, they will die in their sins and spend eternity suffering for that. Fathers, do what God has called you to do. Lead your family.